Good evening, everyone. I hope everybody is recovering from Nano. Um, today, the internet kind of imploded or exploded or boomed or something went down. The, the, the internet lost their mind because Tumblr put out um, censorship guidelines and started censoring um, everything. Uh, it, it's not even consistent, and it's kind of hum- it's a lot homophobic. And so, Julie's a little bit. And I said, you want to do a podcast and talk about it? And she said, yes. So we're going to do that. Um, The thing about censorship uh, on a community scale like Tumblr or when it happened to LiveJournal or when it happened to FanFiction.net is that it um, has a great deal of impact on um, fandom as a whole. and And it changes our dynamic. And... When we lost LiveJournal, the dynamics and fandom changed a lot. And Tumblr is so one-directional that I feel like we lost a lot of community involvement. And so I don't know how we're going to get that back. Um, and But obviously Tumblr wasn't the best choice to make. So um, I'm going to get Jilly on the phone. Um, and we're going to talk about it. There was a... I don't remember what it was called, but there was a brief surge where there's somebody tried to put out an alternative to Tumblr or these Tumblr live journal, you know, where you could create communities, but still be kind of like a blogging platform. I don't remember what it was called. It was fairly recent and um, it didn't last, but like a year or something like that. It just kind of, it, it never caught on. And I just, I was thinking about that today. It actually so didn't penetrate my consciousness that I can't even remember what it was called. Um, even though I actually did get an account, um, but their timing was just off. Cause I think if they existed, if they were, if they were in their first few months right now with what Tumblr's doing, I think they could take off. Um, so I, I just find it really irksome. The whole thing just makes me so annoyed because the first thing, censorship aside, um, also I, PSA, folks, censorship and freedom of speech are not the same thing. Quit calling them the same. A, a platform saying you can't talk about dick is not, not affecting your freedom of speech, but it is censorship. Anyway. Um, if the government so, threatened to put you in jail for talking about dick, that would be a breach of be, your First Amendment rights. <laughs> Right. So quit ranting about the First Amendment over this. It just is not helping the problem to be out there ranting about the wrong thing. Um, One of the first things I noticed when I went to go read Tumblr's official post about this was that they addressed two things in their video, in their, in their post about taking this down. They addressed child pornography and adult content, which means they are, they, they are putting those two things as being problematic issues for Tumblr on the same level and equating them in the minds of everybody who reads that post. Right. We need to make Tumblr better. We need to make Tumblr better by getting rid of child porn and adult content. That's basically what they said. And that is infuriating. It's infuriating to me because child pornography and adult content are not the same thing. And it's part of that whole idea. I mean, it's, it's in a way, it's a very similar idea. It's like, oh, if we're going to allow adult content, we're going to get child porn. But that, no, 
know, child porn is going to exist, right? People are going to try to slip it in whether you allow adult content or not. Now, they had a fuck-up with child pornography. They had a big fuck-up with child pornography. And it got reported to Apple, who, report, who pulled them from the iOS store. Because Apple's not very forgiving about that kind of thing. So Tumblr should have posted an apology post about the child porn and about how they were addressing it, separate from this other thing. At least it wouldn't have made this other thing quite so offensive to me. But that they put those two things together as how they're making Tumblr safer, better, more positive, more positive, preventing adults from talking to each other like adults? No. No. I don't think so. Right now they're saying it's just like images, but earlier I saw something that was absolutely not an adult image, and the only thing on it that caught my eye was that the title was fan fiction, and it had been labeled um, uh, as inappropriate by Tumblr. Now, I mean, that was literally the only thing. There was nothing in the image that could be considered adult by any stretch of the imagination. So they're tagging they have more obviously stuff wrong added fan than fiction right. to their filter. Yeah. And they're gonna add a lot of right now they're saying it's just images, but that's not true. And it's gonna get worse. It's not just gonna be porn gifts or gifts of big dicks, which, you know, I like a big dick. Um <clears throat> gonna end up being erotica too. So they're gonna start adding it was a gif of Bob Ross painting a tree with fan fiction written across the top, and they labeled it inappropriate. Thanks, as. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it had to be fan fiction that caught it, right? That that caught their filter? I I would guess. I don't know, because one of the first things that I ever blogged on Tumblr was a body-positive, plus-size swimsuit campaign, ad campaign. Um, and that's all it is, is it is plus-size women wearing swimsuits. It's been flagged? Yeah, as being against their community standards. It's got a big red banner on it. I'm like, what the fuck? There's no mention of fan fiction. That's all it is, is a body it's body swimsuit ad. It's bodies, and, and, and that's enough. Yeah, but it's not naked bodies. They so, don't care. Will Wheaton has a whole collection of just men kissing that's been declared... Um, against their community standards. None of them are naked. They're all just men kissing. Yeah. There was that one, um, somebody posted in MHQ, of just two men touching a cartoon of one man with his hand on another man's shoulder, and it has been flagged as inappropriate. And yes, Tumblr is saying we know we're going to get it wrong. The problem is they said it's going to be a way to appeal the decisions about some of these, but they don't have that in place right now because Tumblr is overloaded with complaints right now. They had it. They used to have a support email address. You could email directly. They closed it down because they were getting overloaded. They did get overwhelmed with complaint emails. Now the only way to open a support to write them a complaint is you either have to write them a, a physical letter or you have to open a, like a support ticket which I'm sure thousands of people are doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because here's the oh, thing yeah. about Tumblr. Um, I was talking to some friends of mine, 
and um, one of one of she was looking for one of our younger cousins, and she says, "I've been all over Facebook, and she's not on Facebook." I said, "Well, did you check Tumblr?" Well, why would I check Tumblr? I said, Pe-, "I said, honey, <laughs> people under thirty don't really get on Facebook. <laughs> it's not for them; it's for us." I mean, there are some there, you know, kids and families and stuff. But I said, you need to check Instagram and Tumblr because that's probably where she is if she's online and social media. She might have a Twitter, but she probably definitely has an Instagram. And we did find her, incidentally, on Instagram, not on Tumblr. But Tumblr is a um, it's a platform for, uh, I guess you would say, millennials and Gen X. I mean, more millennials, I would say. And they're a powerful demographic, and I think Tumblr is making a big fucking mistake. They're they're trying to sanitize the Internet and make it safe for 12-year-olds. And we have enough spaces on the Internet that are safe for 12-year-olds. And Do frankly, we need to make all of our olds shouldn't be on the Internet by themselves to begin with. Uh, you should have a parental filter on your machine to make sure your child doesn't see anything they're not supposed to do because it's not my fucking job to provide content for your kid. It's your fucking job to make sure your kid doesn't get on my site and see my butt sex mystery tour. That's right. And two men touching each other in a still clothes men touching each other in a spill should not be a problem for anybody. But it is just homophobic. Yeah. The things that they're flagging, it is. I, yeah. Other than the swimsuit campaign, I haven't seen a lot of men and women stuff flagged as inappropriate. So, I just... And the thing is, I mean, honestly, I think Tumblr, it, people under, most people under six, six, definitely 16, but probably many of them under 18, don't have a ton of disposable income anyway, right? So it's not like, if, if, they're, if they're trying to make their site safe for 12 to 18-year-olds, well, so you're running off the people who have income who can actually do something with the advertiser links if they click on them, right? That's what you're doing. Right, yeah. So, it, it doesn't, from a, from a business model perspective, making the internet, making every site safe for you know the twelve to sixteen year old range is just it's crazy cake to me. I don't get it. I mean, I think I, I'm all for parent, I'm all for parental filters. I'm all for having to tag your blog or whatever not safe for work because you know I don't I don't want to be at work and you know aside from children. I don't want to be at work and pulling up the wrong Tumblr account, right? So I'm all for not safe for work tags. I think precautions to make sure that if a site allows adult content that people can filter it out is a good thing, and Tumblr was working on those kinds of things. But to just – I mean, we're losing the ability to post adult content safely online. And we – and there needs to stop being – I'm going to go back to what I started with. There needs to stop being any kind of, equi- of, of equivalency made between adult content and child pornography because they are not the same thing. And, and it just pisses me off when people lump them together as a topic. It isn't the same. 
Child pornography is not adult content. It's illegal content. It, it, it's disgusting. It's criminal. It's disgusting. A moral comment. I said it before. And I'll say it again. One of the things, one of the things that really upset me in fandom when I recognized it, is I was told over and over and over and over and over and over again to warn for slash, and but they were also telling me to warn for things like murder, and and rape. No, I don't write rape, but I do write occasional murder. Um, and I was like. When I connected it, I was like, why the fuck do I have to warn for Slash when I'm supposed to warn for murder? Murder Mm -hmm. and gay sex are not the same fucking thing. They're not even in the same fucking... It's not just apples and oranges. One's a fruit and one's a goddamn vegetable. I mean, they're just not even... Well, you would warn somebody that they're about to eat foxgloves. You don't warn somebody that they're out about to eat a banana. Right? That's a banana. <laughs> Why are you warning me about You're a about banana? You're a piece of dick. Yeah, that's not something I need to be warned for. It's something I need to be... Um, uh, that's an enticement. You tell me I'm going to see some dick? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Show me some dick. <laughs> I don't. I don't need to be warned for dick, unless it's a small one. Micro penis hashtag. One. What? Hashtag micro penis. Yeah. 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 Um, definitely warned for that because I'd be horrified. I'm sorry if there's a male male member of my audience out there with a little penis. We have my thoughts and prayers. Um. <laughs> But I don't want to see it. But she, she doesn't want to see it. And that's the whole point about the whole tagging and labeling your stuff appropriately. Not warning, but labeling appropriate. Is this safe for work? Yes, no, maybe. Um, is it safe for – if it's NSF – it's not safe for work, it's not child appropriate, right? So if if Tumblr had good filters and somebody wants to allow their 12-year-old to have a Tumblr account, they would sign them up and say this person's 12, and, in, 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 implicitly they're not going to get all of the adult content. But, no, we can't do that. Now, I've seen some people speculate. I got chocolate in my mouth because I, this is a chocolate-eating day. Um, I've seen people speculate that this is actually a deliberate attempt to kill Tumblr because it's not it's costing Verizon money. Maybe, but... I'm going to be better off just actually shutting it down in a reasonable way if that's really what's going on than alienating your audience and making them furious with you. It's making them mad at the parent company too. If a parent company comes out and says, look, we're going to to give you guys a year, but we're shutting Tumblr down. It costs too much. People would be upset, but they would get over it and they would find, have time to find a new platform. (laughs) This method of closing down a company, assuming that's what they're actually doing, costs the parent company business. Because if you think people aren't going to avoid Verizon over this, you're crazy. Because there are people who have a lot invested in Tumblr who are going to lose their accounts, basically. Um, and if Tumblr's whole thing, that, that whole bit, about how they weren't going to delete the accounts, they just were going to delete the content because they wanted to leave the door open for these people to post acceptable content. Come on, double bird. That is so. 
That is so from every Tumblr user ever. I That's mean, like gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't like any of your content, but you can post new stuff, maybe. Maybe. We're not going to delete your account because we want to leave the door open for you to fall in line and be do what we do what we want you to do, and be our. But, and, I was reading an article actually on Tumblr about this today because I went over there and blogged a whole bunch of naked pictures and protests um, because that's just the kind of thing that I do. You know, 99% spite sitting right here. Um, and um, one of the things I saw was that um, Tumblr in a lot of ways has become a, a big source of information for young gay people. Um as far as sex education goes, um, being acceptance, you know, and, and support, and these things are, um, this kind of content is at risk as well because it will be considered explicit, and it will get thrown off Tumblr. We're talking about actual just sex education articles, whether it be for gay people or straight people or all the spectrum in between. Um, that kind of content is very valuable to young people who don't get the education they need in our education system, who come out of high school um, barely knowing how to use a condom. They depend on online resources and other people in their peer group to help them out and support them. And there's a large community on Tumblr who does that. And they're all at risk right now because Tumblr is a dick. Yeah. Um, apparently they turned they took down this is weird. It's interesting. So apparently because I was reading an article on the Mary Sue Do I still have that? I'm just doing to do a real quick test in the chat room. Yeah, I still got the internet. Okay, so I'm ha- so I'm just. The Mary Sue said that there was no mention of child pornography in the a better, more positive Tumblr blog post, um, but there is a mention of it. So, Mike, I'm wondering if they edited the post or put up a different post, the same title, because people were frustrated that the child porn issue wasn't mentioned. But I don't think the child porn issue should have been mentioned. So if their original post did not have that, I think that would have been better than lumping child pornography and adult content together. But he did say they've given serious thought to what we want our community to what to who we want to be to our community going forward. And Mary Sue, the Mary Sue's response is that answer seems to be creepy, overbearing parent, um, which is kind it- of what they're doing. It reminds me of that um, clothing scandal. Was it H and M? There was a clothing store, and I don't know what remember what it was. It was a brand, um, and the CEO or someone high up in the company went through all the employee um, pictures because they all had to take full body pictures and marked anybody he found unattractive to be fired because they he didn't want ugly or fat people representing his brand. I feel like it was H and M, but I could be mistaken, so don't quote me on that. Wow! Uh, wow! Um, 
Oh no! Apparently, H and M was the was the racist one. Oh, that was the racist monkey sweatshirt. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is just as bad. Um, but it wasn't Old Navy, but it was one of those uh, clickish twenty-ish brands, you know. Um, and he actually went through employee fold, um, photos and fired anybody he found unattractive because he didn't want unattractive young women in his store wearing their clothes and representing them. And, of course, they didn't hire anybody over, like, a size 8 um, because they couldn't wear their clothes on the floor as salespeople because they were too fat. And I forget what store it was, but it was not H&M. They were the ones that had the racist monkey sweatshirt, um, which is honestly worse. <laughs> Willow, you're right. It was Abercrombie and Finch. Absolutely. Thank you. Um and uh, what if it was them? It was, I think it was either them or Hollister. Yeah, it was Abercrombie and Finch, and um, it, it, it kind of reminds me of that. Like they're, like they're trying to shape what kind of community they want, um, no matter what their actual community is. Like with Stargate, when they were talking about how they wanted a younger audience, um, and that's why they did SGU. Well, they totally alienated the audience that they had, and now they have no audience. Congratulations. Yeah. Way to go, guys. I think the makers of Team Wolf are also guilty of this, um, in that they tried to seek out an audience beyond what they had and alienated the audience they did have to the point where their audience stopped supporting them. You don't get to choose who likes you. And you need to respect the people who come to the table for you. And you don't get to choose why they like you. And that was one of the things that Teen Wolf tried to do was try to decide how how and why people were allowed to like them. I'm sorry, you're not allowed to like us if you're here for this. You're only allowed to like us if you're here for this. It's like, really? That's what we're doing? We don't want you in our store because you're fat. We don't want you wearing our clothes. You don't make our clothes look good. That's what Abercrombie and Finch did. Um, And it... um, This kind of societal modeling is... uh, it's full to the brim with so much entitlement that it can only be the work of an old white man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like there's a whole bunch of old white men in this country in charge who think the world should be shaped to suit them exactly, and you have no choice but to conform as far as they're concerned. Well, it's, not, it, it's not just the, it's not just the, like, uh, I mean, honestly, there's a big segment of the conservative soccer mom who's a problem here, too. Um, banding together and creating petitions and protests against anything that exists that is outside of what they think of as decent. Um, 
So, you know, and the thing is, if you create a space that is good for adults and you're like, okay, this is where the adults are going to go play. And then it starts to become popular and appealing. It's like, oh, well, we need to open this up to the kids. No, we don't. No, we really, really don't. They'll grow up. They're not kids long. They can join you in five years. That's right. <laughs> we don't need them here now. Now, see, I have a Tumblr that I don't particularly use because, like I said when I opened the show, is I find Tumblr very one-directional. And I don't mean the band, although probably that too. Um I mean that in the, the communication is very in very much in one direction. I don't feel a um, a community vibe on Tumblr, and that could be my age um, and my inability to figure out how to reblog shit and comment and stuff like that. I mean, I can reblog, but uh, I have a hard time commenting and figuring out how to respond to comments. And it could be my old age. I'm in my forties now. I don't tumble well. Well, no. It's just because it doesn't make sense, right? To somebody having to reblog the way people comp- reply comment, it's to reblog it again, right? And I don't find that to be something that makes sense. The idea that my my homepage, my my feed, or my my Tumblr would have four versions of the same exact post with iterative comments is just ridiculous. It it, it doesn't make sense to me. I understand that's why they chose to make it, but because they didn't intend it to be a communication platform, they intended it to be a, a micro blogging. Yeah, basically, and it wasn't designed to get for you to interact with the people you were blogging to. It was designed. It was it was one directional content. Now people have figured out a way to make the platform work for them, um, but when I go. The thing is, I miss when I go to these groups on Tumblr that I miss so much because um, the only way to find the, co- the the content, the replies, and what people have added to a discussion is to look on the notes from the original blog, right? Well, if it's a popular post, it could have thousands of likes, and there's no way to differentiate likes from actual comments. You have to just read through them all and click on every single person who actually added a comment and go look at their version of the post. And it's just what happens is you just wind up missing all the good content. Um, So what happens is it becomes a big time suck to find the content or you miss. That's one or the other. Those are the extremes. And it's just LiveJournal, DreamWith, Facebook, anything that has basically inherent threading to a conversation, any kind of forum, makes more sense for a conversation than Tumblr. But particularly millennials latched onto it like coffee and was like, this is our Frappuccino and we are going to have it and we are going to use it. And um. Like okay, don't like it. I've never liked it. I probably have less than eighty posts total on Tumblr, but it's the point of the whole thing, not the content I'm going to lose because I'm not married to any of the content I'm going to lose. But I never liked Tumblr to begin with. I had it because I knew people who were on it who had blogs and had content that I valued, but. Personally, I don't care about not having a Tumblr account, and I won't, by the way. 
I, even though I'm not going to lose content, I will delete my account when the 17th rolls around. So when they do this purge, my account's going. I'm not going to stay. No, have, no, no. Um, any, all I do on Tumblr is announce my fix, which I can do on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and I have a newsletter and, um, you know, I think it might go to Google+. Plus. I don't, Google Plus never took off, did it? It's so sad. Um, but, I think uh, I shut it down. No, I have to go check. I thought there was a, at, least, at least a discussion that they were going to shut it down. I still have one. My Google Plus still exists. Oh. Google is shutting down Google Plus. Admits low consumer adoption. Let's see when is this going to happen. This was announced in October. Oh. <laughs> is it gone already? I mean, am I looking at a ghost or something? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not real clear to me exactly what it is they were going to do. Because what happened was they had a big data breach in, in March where they had a bug that um, gave developers access to the data, private data of 500,000 people. Um, but they didn't announce it until much later, which, of course, when they fail to announce these things on time, that just amps up the annoyance. But Google admitted that the platform has not achieved any kind of broad consumer adoption and that 90% of user sessions on Google Plus last less than five seconds. <laughs> well, I haven't actually posted to my Google Plus since 2016, so my bad, Google, my bad. Yeah, I only ever wind up on Google Plus by accident, so I understand that five-second user session. It's because you go there by accident. Um you know, I wish, but the thing is, I don't know that Google would have, you know, they're, all of the alternatives for adult content ultimately start forbidding adult content. Um, the only one I can think of at the moment, been around a while, that has not done any idiocy around adult content is DreamWith. Um And part of the reason why DreamWith even exists was because of live journal shenanigans. So, I mean, I have a dream the platform. Yeah, I do too. Well, as you know, we do. We have EAD over there. Yeah, and I and I tried to blog like I did on Live Journal, but um, something about the <coughs> I took a there was a there was a personal knock. I guess I took with with Live Journal because I felt very comfortable there, and then they changed everything and sold themselves to Russia, and um, then there was all that crap, and then I worded up my content, and then I was just like, you know what, fuck this, like, I can't. <laughs> so I went to Dream with, and I downloaded all my stuff up there, and um, it, uh, I'm kind of pissed still because my entries. Some of them have videos on them, but the co- but the code doesn't match, and so I have to go in and change my code to get my videos back, and I just haven't done it, and it pissed me off, um, which I know definitely is a first world problem. Um, and uh, but I just uh, I I lost interest in that kind of of blogging, so to speak. 
Um, but Dreamless well, doesn't have the community feel for fandom that Live Journal did, even though that was their whole swing. You know, they were building themselves for fandom. I just don't think it. Um, I think that the main thrust of people who were involved on Live Journal went to Tumblr, and now they're all paying for it. Yeah. But I think that every time one of these things happens, Dreamwith does get a tick up in in new subscribers. Um, you know, I wish that they just made it feel a little bit more, um, I don't know, it just doesn't feel, the community aspect of it, it just doesn't feel the same. Um, I, I haven't spent enough time on it to even be able to articulate what's different, but I don't think just, it's the platform. It's I think it's the people and the content. I think that um, a lot of the content providers uh, who were on Live Journal, like I said, went to Tumblr, um, and it was kind of like uh, community is only good as the members who participate. Um, I think that when you look at um, the various community environments that we share, um, that some of them get more activity and content than others. And it's Mm -hmm. about comfort level. Um, I'm at an age where I'm actually pretty comfortable in a forum, but we have a lot of um, readers and users and writers who are on Rough Trade and who are part of Quantum Bang and all that, who are not as comfortable on a forum setting as you and I are, um, and who are very comfortable on Facebook. uh, And, you know, I think that one thing that Facebook could do for us is to allow us to create adult-only groups. I think that would be very helpful if we could have um, age-restricted groups and we could have any content we want in them. And of course, they they run the risk then of somebody creating some kind of terrible child porn hub in the middle of their platform. But they already um, have a very robust reporting system in place. So... And that content's going to come whether you want it to or not. And it's your job if you're doing, um, if, if you have a platform like that, to to police that. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, I'm sure there the, are already they, they, private groups on Facebook that have content in them that would be an immense violation of um, TOS. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I know on Facebook there, are, I, I'm I'm a member of groups that have like a dick of the day. So, um, <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, why am I not in the dick of the day group? <laughs> I <laughs> feel cheated. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, this stuff is going to, people are going to violate terms of service and they're going to try to get, do it in a way that still kind of honors the spirit of it, which is that we're going to do it in a closed secret group and we're not going to allow children in here. Um yeah. Don, you can create your own private groups and with rules to join, but your content in your group is still subject to Facebook's TOS. And if it gets reported, you could lose your group and your own Facebook account. Because I had someone in one of the groups report me for something, and it almost shut down everything. Because I am the main admin for the writer's table, for Minion Headquarters, um and a couple of pages for Rough Trade and Wild Hair. And when my account was suspended, it all went for like three or four hours. 
Well, I mean, what happened was because she had backup admins, everything still worked. But anything that was driven off of a post Kira had made um, went away because her account was suspended. So um, all of like all of like our group images all disappeared because they were those were Kira's posts. So. Like, all of a sudden, we went in. That's how we knew there was a problem, actually, was we went into, I want to say, this was when it was the Rough Trade Group, before it was the, mm-hmm. became the writer's table. Same. We went in. There was no banner image. There was no group information, pin post. Everything was gone. And we're like, with the group, and we, we put something up, you know. We, we put something up because, you know, there were backup admins. We were able to get the, the group working again. But it it caused the group to look like it had Something had gone very wrong when they suspended her account, and it was, you know, and so something had gone it, very wrong. <laughs> yes, it, I agree. Something <laughs> had gone very, very wrong. Um, now, I will say that I was guilty. I had posted something on a whim that was profane as fuck, and I don't regret it. Um, and um, I got uh, I, I got tagged. Someone reported me to Facebook, and then I had to reaffirm that all the images in my account weren't dirty, um, and that I wouldn't do it again. I, I, I got my hand slapped. Um, it was full-on anal penetration, and I don't know why I did it. I was just in a mood, you know. So I fully admit to the fact that that was my fault. I did violate Facebook's TOS, but that's the thing. Even in a group, you can violate Facebook's TOS and get kicked out. So you can create any kind of group you want. But if there's a member in your group that gets pissed off at you and they report one of your posts, you're screwed. Especially if your whole group is full of it and Facebook sees it, and they would, <laughs> like in that group that Jilly's talked about with the dick of the day. If someone in that group decided to be an asshole and reported all those photos, the person who owns that group would get kicked off Facebook. Well, and the thing is, it has come up in some of these groups that are secret groups that are adult-oriented, is I've seen, you know, the the person, the moderator come back in and go, okay, I got my account suspended because one of you assholes reported a post from this group. It, you know, you had to say before you joined this group that you knew what the content was and why, you know, and the thing is, the po- they still post, they still violated Facebook's terms of service by posting things that are forbidden content. That is unquestionably true. But they were trying to do the right thing, um, in my opinion, by making their group a closed group, secret group, that whole thing, um, and preventing people who are underage from joining. And then, so it does feel a little like a betrayal when their membership turns around and reports one of their posts. Um, I don't know. It's just the thing is, I, I I think that Facebook could do a better job than it does. Of they're also, as we all know, they're remarkably inconsistent about applying their community standards because they will racism, allow racism, violence, sexism, yeah. hate speech. They they'll they'll say all of that kind of crap is okay, even though it's explicitly against their terms of service. I've seen explicit heterosexual content naked women be left up even though it's been reported as being against terms of service, but they'll take down gay content or just anything that gets reported every day. (laughs) Every damn day. Um, 
so they're remarkably inconsistent to the point that it feels like bigotry, the way they apply their community standards. Um, and nobody needs that. <laughs> nobody needs that shit. Um, so it's just, it gets to be, there's, there's like no good perfect solution. Live Journal had its issues. Dreamwidth is just not caught on. Um, there are some aspects actually of the Dreamwidth communities that I find a lot harder to use than the Live Journal communities. Um, the, the, the reading page on Dreamwidth is a nightmare from my perspective. I don't even go to make, that page. I don't even go there. Because I mean, I was like, but granted, like, I didn't go to Live Journal. <laughs> Well, I use I use live journals. I had filter. I had like you know like I had like um, filters. They had filters available for your page, and you could decide what you wanted to see. And like I would put all of the groups that I was in on live journal that I wanted to see what was new in those groups um, as a filter. And I would go to the reading page, and I'd select that that's what I wanted to see was that list of groups. And I would only see on my reading page that list of groups, um, which allowed me to stay current with the groups I was actively involved in without having to go and visit them all individually. Um, but it, it's just, I think Dreamwidth part of the reason, I think they, I think part of I mean, they are an individual concern, right? They're not owned by a big corporation. And so, you know, their ability to develop features is based strictly on whether or not they get the money to do it. And, um, we're not used to paying for our platforms anymore. And that's the truth. We are not used to paying um, for I uh, any kind of journal. social media platform, I, I did. I did too, but most most people didn't. Most people didn't. And I would. I haven't had. It hasn't come up that I would need to pay to pay for a Dreamwidth account, but I'm willing to. I just don't really feel like I'm going to be using it. So, um, but maybe I should be making more of an effort to use Dreamwidth. You know, um, I mean, if people don't adopt and, and sort of try to push the adoption it just never happens and that that like I said that alternative that came up that was very pro fandom uh, and I can't remember what it was called that um, people were trying to move to to get away from like Facebook and, and live journal so, um, it didn't so take I, off I, because it, I clicked on dream with just yeah, I just clicked on it because you know, you just get cut and it's right there on my little thing. I clicked on it, and there's an inbox. This is great. <laughs> if you guys have Tumblr, I mean not not Tumblr, but Dreamwidth, you can go read it. it. Says with the new update to Tumblr's community guide, announcing they will no longer permit adult content on their site. We'd like to take a moment to reassure you all that we have your backs. <laughs> with a very few exceptions, such as spam and the like. If it is legal under U.S. law, it's okay to post here. We are 100% user-supported with no advertisers and no venture capitalists to please. And that means we're here for you, not for shady conglomerates that will buy up your data and use it in nefarious ways. Tumblr's definition of adult content seems to be inherently visual. And I also wanted to remind people that we do have basic image hosting. It's definitely not as slick and as easy to use as Tumblr, I won't lie, but it does exist. If you want to include images in your post, you can upload them. The site will also give you HTML options. You can post by email. All users have 500 megabytes of image quoting, of image hosting quota right now. That's the free account. Um, 
I posted it two hours ago. They're trying to improve the content for the small screen. Anyways, for those of you who would like to save all your porn, Greenwood is here for you. Yeah, and if you you can you can get quite a bit of porn up on 500 megabytes if you're if you're careful about your file sizes and the quality of the image. Um, but I didn't don't remember Dreamwith counts being terribly expensive. Um, we have to check into what um, I'm going over there now. Um, what a paid um, account gives you from an image perspective, because you know we could we could we could take up a collection to get the Doom Dick account. And I, I appreciate, and I guess, I guess, I guess, I'm a little bit talking to my, more talking to myself here that I need to be giving more time to dream with because I appreciate, uh, 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 I support AO3 even financially, even though I don't post there, because I do get hours and hours and hours and hours of entertainment from AO3. Um, I just really wish they didn't allow, um, um, sex with 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 children on their site um anyway um but i i feel like i need to this is i feel like i'm kind of you know telling myself here that i need to give um dream with you know, a little bit more time and attention and figure out how to work it works and how to make it work um just because um honestly there are things i want to do um, and that I probably would do, but WordPress has in their in their terms of service they have some of the same adult content rules that everybody else does. So if you're using a free WordPress account, you might wind up losing your content someday. Um, if they decide right now, they don't enforce it. That's just let's just be real. They have it, they don't enforce it. So um, it, that doesn't apply to managed WordPress accounts, which is why mostly I have. Um, get my own domain and pay for hosting, but I can't afford to do that um, with as many sites as I would want to. And for small stuff, it might make more sense to do like a community on Dreamwith, and and that's that's on me to figure that out. Um, so I guess I kind of had a little bit of an epiphany about that today because it's just this just whole thing just super frustrated me that the sanitization of the internet is just. It's like it's on my last nerve. I don't, I don't want to know if they're still doing invitations for Dreamwit. I don't know. Are they still doing that? Let me log out. I don't think you. I don't think you need an invitation to join Dreamwit. You just go to another browser. Okay, so if you want to create an account, um, you can. Yeah, it 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 doesn't seem to be requiring an invitation code. Didn't it used to? Because I think I got mine during the invitation codes, and I had to get my invitation from somebody. I had to beg around for now, it. Now, Dreamwits might have when they were in beta, but the one that you still have to have an invite for, I think, is is it Insane Journal? I still think you have to have an invite code to get an Insane Journal account. Yeah, I have an Insane Journal. 
um, it's a backup for my dream wit. <clears throat> Let's see what you get with a, with a paid account. Um, it's a little bit. The premium paid account is either $35 or $50 a year, depending. Um, let's see what the difference between them is. Um, with a paid account, it's 100 With premium paid account, it's 250 Or if you had what they call the seed account, which was their early adopters. Um, <laughs> you can cross – if you have a premium account, you can cross-post to five others. You get a lot more tags, which if you're a crazy tagger, you get a lot more tags with a premium account. Um, you get a lot more subscriptions, too. Yeah, you get, you get a thousand if you have a premium. I'm trying to find anything about images. You can have 2,000 friends. I think everybody right now only gets 500 megabytes of um, images on um But you could host your images on WordPress in your me- – you just host the media. And as long as you're not actually posting them on WordPress, they probably wouldn't hit the sensor. So yeah, you could – In theory, people can't – well, people might be able to find them through searching. But, yeah, you could I, – I, I host images on WordPress now, actually. I have some old content that has images posted from WordPress because when I did my first migration into my new site, it didn't work correctly, and I was too lazy to change it. I was still too lazy to change it eight years later. It's still working. (laughs) I'm like, why mess with something that's working? But yeah, I do use my insane journal as a backup for my dream width. It'll like post to it. You know, so um I don't know what insane journal's content um relations are, but dream width apparently if it's legal in the US you can stick it up on their site. So um go over there and create you a blog, make it adults only and just post all your porn. Let me know. I'll follow you. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> right right now it's true that right now there is um, the the two thousand subscriber limit is harsh. Honestly, even for the paid account, two thousand is, is is really low, which means it puts you kind of in the position if you're going to actually use like insane journal. I mean, like a dream with. For, well, you know, or even if you were using a live journal for for fic, you kind of if if you have a moderate readership base, you kind of have to make your um, fic entries public because live journal was no otherwise. Different. Because well, I had a paid account, it was um, I had a paid account, and my maximum number of friends on live journal um, was forty five hundred. Yeah, still forty five hundred. You know. It, it's still not for you. That's not sufficient. But for a lot of people, 4,500 might be <laughs> sufficient. But 2,000 yeah, isn't really sufficient yeah. for anybody. I'm just saying. But that's why I eventually moved my EAD to a community 
because there wasn't a um a uh maximum on community members so what you could do on DreamWidth is if you wanted to host your fic on there but you wanted to put it behind an adult warning you could do that in a community and yeah. people who join the community would have to be an adult um, and that way all your content is safe and you don't have a limit on how many members you can have which is what we did with EAD you, you have to be um, a member to read EAD Evil Author Day, me and Jilly's um, community group on, on DreamWidth. Um, but there's no limitation on how many people can join it that I'm aware of. No, I don't think there is a limit on community membership. Um, and, yeah, and if you didn't want to do it alone, find a couple buddies to go in and do um, a community with and post your fic if that's where you want to put it. But, you know, and if, you know, it's just – it's very – we gravitate. We I think in 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 uh, we gravitate toward platforms that are kind of work seamlessly in some fashion. And DreamWidth, I don't think I think one of the reasons why we haven't once we moved away from LiveJournal and we and we got used to not having that that kind of community platform and what was more of, of an archive platform. Most I think most authors were like, okay, this is fine with me. I am total. There was resistance at first for me. I can't post on LiveJournal, um, but then once they started posting on like Ao3, they're like, okay, I'm fine with this. <laughs> I don't need that community thing. I'll just post my shit here. This is fine. But there is still a community aspect to fandom, and there hasn't been a really good substitute for that. And it's landed in. Um, Facebook groups and on Tumblr, and neither are good for adult content. Clearly, neither are good for adult content. And so, you know, we may have to work with something that's a little less good, that isn't perfect. But truthfully, nothing was ever perfect because Facebook always pissed me off. I never liked Tumblr, but we just kind of went with where everybody was. I like to post my EAD separately from my main content um, because they are unfinished projects and some of them might always be unfinished projects. And that way I don't have to um, explain myself repeatedly on my site because everybody knows what EAD is. Um, and I don't get demands for more and more and more on EAD. I don't get uh, questions um Sometimes I'll get a comment for, on one that's been up there for a long Oh, I love this so much. I'd love to see more. And that's fine. I don't mind that kind of comment. Of course you'd love to see more. I'm awesome. I get it. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, not really. <laughs> I know I'm awesome. <laughs> know your worth. That's there- what I'm saying. It does make a difference because people go to the EAD page and they it's right it's right there. It says that there's no guarantee this will be finished. So you are reading at your own risk. This is not like I started putting a work in progress up on my site and people have an expectation it's gonna get finished and that there's no expectation. Um and so it allows to share snapshots of works that aren't finished, that may never get finished. And people either like that and take that risk or they don't, but it is it does create a different expectation when I put stuff on my site. Um, I think I have one EAD thing left on my site. Everything else, 
from before everything from before I started doing everything I everything I did from before I started um, doing Dream with Akira has either been finished or taken down. Um, and the thing, you know, the one thing that's still there is one of the things I get pestered about the most. So, um, and it, because it was old, I didn't want to move it to our our Dreamwitz community because I didn't want to like raise interest in it in, in it again and get people wondering if I was adding content when I wasn't. So I just left it on my site. This one old EAD thing, and um, well, I should, that honestly, mine, I backdated it. I should have I should have moved it, but people but people still get email. They'll still get they'll still get an email, you know. Yeah, but who cares? They'll still get an I mean, email. They'll have an old date on it. You just say you were just um, you could put a little note on it saying this is old content that I'm that I'm moving here for um, your enjoyment. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Next EAD I will do that, which is coming up. So next EAD I'll, and and what it is that thing is the sequel to the journey home. Which is like twenty some I think there's a little over twenty K of, of that up on my site sitting there. Um it is the um second most looked at page on my site. Um and it is the most um bothered, most po- poking I get is on that page. Poke, 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 poke. And I should have moved it. It was one of the first EAD things I ever put up. And um, I should have moved it with my, with the, with when I started doing EAD and Dreamwit, um, and I I talked myself out of it, and um, I regret I regret my choices. I um I cooked hamburgers tonight in the um in the in the new wave oven. I highly recommend it. It's very um you don't gotta do jack shit. You just stick it in there and walk away. I did turn them over, like I did seven minutes on one side and seven minutes on the other, and then I just. That was it. It was the most painless way to cook hamburgers ever. Buy yourself a new wave. It's great. Anyways. <laughs> I need to get um, me one of those. I just, I, I'm running out of space for handy appliances because I've got the slow cooker you know, and the Instapot. And... The, the new wave um, can replace almost everything, in, including your toaster. Really? How does it replace a toaster? I mean, don't have a toaster, but how does it replace a toaster? And, you just stick your bread in there, and it's a little oven. You just put, you push one, two minutes, and you got toasted bread. Oh, okay. Very handy. I toasted my buns for my hamburger. Anyway, when I was pulling them out, I made four, two for today and, you know, two for, you know, one for each of us for lunch tomorrow. Um, and so I was putting the ones for lunch in a bowl, and I just snatched them off the grill with my fingers, um, and for those of you who don't know, um, I have, my right hand's been kind of fucking up lately, and it's a little numb, <laughs> so I really didn't feel it as it being hot, and I kind of like, after I did it, I, I looked at my hand, and my husband said, are you getting your life choices? I'm like, no, I barely felt it, <laughs> and then I just sucked the grease off my fingers, <laughs> and walked off, <laughs> but yeah, my my right hand's a little numb, and it's not, I mean, I can feel it, but there's a... Maybe a delay. I, I don't know. It, it, it's just I didn't feel it. I mean, I it felt warm. It didn't feel hot. Um, no, I don't have carpal tunnel. I've already been tested for that. Oh, don't be tested for that, ladies. We obviously do be tested for it, but be aware that they stick needles in you and and, and send current through them. It's hella it was, uncomfortable. It was, it, was, it was hella. It was definitely just hellacious. It was ugh, not fun. And you're talking to somebody who actually enjoys some of that stuff. I mean, 
masochist to you, that was not fun. <laughs> and when a masochist nerve is not fun, <laughs> you can't. It's not fun. It's really not nerve fun. Nerve conduction. Nerve conduction <laughs> tests are nobody's idea of a good time. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't actually have any kind of nerve damage that that way um, in my arm, in my, my wrist and hands. So they're looking at the nerve the the nerve that starts up at my neck and go all the way down. That's like the median nerve, maybe. Anyways, so yeah, I've got a little numbness, and my husband was so funny. He's like, "Did you get your life choices?" And I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> Not at all. I'm perfectly fine with my life choices. Thank you. For those of you who are in the writer's table, uh, one of our members posted a YouTube series. Um, it's a writing class, and you should go check it out. There's um, She posted the link to the YouTube channel, um, and it's about, it's about writing. And um, apparently point of view and conflict, and some of you guys need that. That was not a criticism. That was a critique. <laughs> it was structured feedback. Some of you guys need to be working on point, your point of view feedback. mechanics. Love all y'all bitches, but some of y'all need some help with the POV. <laughs> Me need Jesus. Uh, it's POV Jesus. You can be saved from this. Oh. No, but seriously, P. I, I think actually point of view um, is one of the more difficult skills to master. It's also one of the skills I think most people master last <laughs> because it's easier not to worry about it. Head hopping yeah, it is. is not yeah. head hopping. And so it's and one of those thing- skills we'll dismiss. Right, because you just you don't want to find the 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 the, the better way. People don't want not not Kira, but people don't want to figure out how to find a better way to relay what happened in this person's POV. So they give a character two paragraphs of POV in a in, a, in an eighty k novel. Two paragraphs. Nobody needs a paragraph for two for two par- Nobody needs a point of view for two paragraphs. Ever. Um. Yes, I've run into this several times recently. I was like, really? Uh, this character was so irrelevant, they didn't even have a name. Um, if your if character, your character doesn't, doesn't have a want... name, they don't have a POV. Right. If they don't warrant a name, they don't warrant a POV. I mean, that should be – that's like first cut. And then beyond that, if if you're not going to need their point of view for more than two paragraphs, you don't need their point of view. You've got to figure out another way to get that information across. So – yeah, POV, it's just, you can take something perfectly, like a real, I could, I've read a couple of stories lately where I was like, this has so much potential, except, oh my God, the POV shenanigans are driving me crazy. <laughs> and the thing is, if you've got good word craft and your problem is POV, sit your butt down and sort your shit out and go be a, and, and, and go write a novel and submit it to a publisher because, that's the harder part, folks, really honestly, is developing a really good writer voice and having good word craft is much harder ultimately than sorting out POV. And honestly, all that shit is just shortcuts. It's like it's people use head hopping as a crutch to not figure out how to relay information in the right way. And I'm not having it. 
I'm not actually going to get all up in your face and make you um, start your POV shit out. But don't think I'm not tempted. Super tempted. There have been a couple of authors I have been so tempted to write and go, you have got so much potential. Fix your POV shit. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> I insist. Stop fucking around. Which is terrible. It's terrible and obnoxious, and I know that. But I don't actually do it. It would be terrible and obnoxious if I did it, but I don't actually do it. I just think it. I just think. I wish I wish I, I could go to this person and, and shake them and go, fix this one thing, and you are golden. But it's a journey, and it's okay to take your time on that journey. Um, uh-uh. Fix your POV. <laughs> <laughs> This is the the frustrated voice of someone who's read too much shitty fic lately. (laughs) I think that um, actually um, that it's uh, out of all the skills and all the things that you do as a writer, here are the things that will get you rejected coming in the door. I mean from a publisher or an editor or an agent. Failing to follow their instructions for submission. Failing to understand the hook of your own story. Failing to write for the appropriate audience. So you don't send a YA novel to an erotica publisher. Okay? Um, Or vice versa. Um, Most especially vice versa. (laughs) They'll think you're a creep. Okay. um, And finally, your POV. Did you pick the right POV? Are you staying in your POV? Are you head hopping? Is she Nora Roberts? She's not Nora Roberts and she's head hopping. She's done. Because here's the thing. Easy to fix your commas. And if you split an infinitive, they got an editor whose whole job is to unsplit your infinitive. If your dialogue mechanics are on spot, fine. If they're a little shady, that can be fixed in editing. But you know what can't be fixed in editing? Your POV problem. Because that's usually a rewrite. And they're not going to waste their time rewriting your fucking novel for you. could not be more important. If your plot is on point and your dialogue mechanics suck, they'll work with you. If your plot is on point and your POV sucks, you're getting a rejection letter. and It's probably going to be one of those um, standard form letters, and they won't even tell you what's wrong with your shit because they don't think you're worth the time. And your whole point going into the submission process is to make yourself attractive and to make them want to work for you, to make them want to work for your book. And if they're not excited about your book, you don't get a contract. And POV is a killer. She's a killer. Yeah. I, yes, I did a recent, recently listen to Queen. <laughs> and There's now I'm going to get off my soapbox. some extra time with Queen. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I may never get off that soapbox. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, I, just, I hit a bad run. And sometimes it's certain fandoms. And again, this is that viral behavior. You pick up bad habits from the things you read. And newbie writers out there, you need to, if 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 what you're seeing in fandom di- differs significantly in structure and style from what you are reading in novels, published novels, there's probably because it's not right. So please mimic the published novels and not the fan fiction. That'd be great. Thank you. And we're and none of us are immune to this. I have admitted that I have seen it in my own work. I have seen that one-sided conversation. And every time I think about it, I want to go over there and fix it. And eventually I am going to fix it, obviously. I'm, I'm going to fix it. Um, I did some scissoring. I was like, what? They're scissors. Oh, my gosh. So none of us are immune to picking up these bad habits. Um. Although I do think mine was mostly because of a POV shift um, or that I wanted to shift POV and didn't. And I should have done it after the phone conversation. And, yeah, but bad craft is not your author voice. Absolutely as. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we all do it. We are all susceptible to this disgusting osmosis that, that happens in fandom. You just got to be careful. And acknowledge when you do it and fix it. I just nodded my head like my mom used to do when she would give me a lecture. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like she was fix like it. she was agreeing with herself and <laughs> she would walk off. I don't think it's so much contradictory as it is that no writer has the same process and a lot of writers share their process. So what might work for me doesn't work for Lady Holder because she's a pantser. And what works for me might not work for somebody who does scene um, scene. Scene, what's it? scene mapping. I don't do scene mapping. I have to... There is nothing wrong with being a panther. Stop staring at me. I'm just saying that we're different writers, and so what works for me would not work for you. It would bore the shit out of you. you you'd throw your shit out in the yard <laughs> if, if you did what I did. <laughs> do you remember my quantum bang <laughs> plot document? I showed it to you. <laughs> Didn't I? I think I did. Thank you. Um, I saw it. I thought I think I think you did. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, um, or no, maybe maybe I shared it with you because we were talking about plot points, and I was talking about my um, my uh, how I did it, and I showed you mine because it wasn't like we weren't on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't using yeah. a term that you that you understood, <laughs> or I was using it in a way, yeah. Yeah, it, it yes, my plot document was like twenty five pages for for, um, for my quantum bang, something like that. I still have it printed out over here. And my plot document, um, Karen, my plot was a little more similar to Kira's, but no, it's it still different pages. from hers. But it, yeah, it, my plot is still different pages. from hers. Yeah, she does a lot more um, blow by blow plot summary, plot point summary. Um, my 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 
my event plotting is a lot different than hers in that sense, but my plot document tends to be more of an abstract than um, a bullet, bullet, bulleted list of event plot points. So yeah. I it, do a bullet list. We, I think you also do a synopsis. Yeah, it's a bit more of an abstract about the story. So it, um, I usually write like a, a with a background, the background of of what what how things came to be, um, and what like I'll I'll like write up a, a a summary of of what the main conflict is and what the goal of what you know what what I'm trying what the GMC is, and it's really written more like it is kind of like a synopsis. Um, but then I'll do some event based plotting that is um, driven a lot on my timeline. And it doesn't have anything to do with like a bulleted plot point list, but we have a similar process, but still the end result looks different. So there is, there are some things that are contradictory out there. there that's for, that's for sure. Especially one of the things that I find to one of the places I tend to find the most contradictory information is um, the community, the, the community support for self-publishing basically tends to advocate flying in the face of um, a lot of publishing standards. And some of them don't, not all of them, but some people are very careful about, you know, if we want self-publishing to work, we have to maintain a certain standard of this, that, or the other. But I've seen articles written about how you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. I was like, oh, my God, yes, you do. Um, Well, you can have you can have more than one point of view in a story. Um, there is a point of view. It, there's there's third person limited, which is the typical point of view of publishing, and one of the sub forms of third person point of view is um, third person multiple. It is third person limited, but you're doing one point of view at a time, but you're switching between. Now the thing is, is most genres will not support more than two or three points of view in a story. Um, so I don't know. What, what genre this article is talking about because you cannot give more depth to a romance novel by throwing in five points of view. It is not the way the genre works. So, But I would say in high fantasy you could do. Um, yep. You might you would get away, you could get away with lots of um, not lots of but say four or five points of view if your story is more plot driven and you need these characters to push your plot. Like for instance, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, um, Lord of the Rings. Um, whereas um, I'm so, sure I've not actually read Outlander, but I would say Outlander's probably told from two points of view, his and hers. Mostly probably hers. Cause she's the Outlander. I don't know. I haven't read Outlander either. Uh, but the thing is, a lot of these, sometimes advice is very context-specific. Um, like when Stephen King starts about his adverbs, he's basically talking, Stephen King used adverbs. He's basically talking about L-Y adverbs, where you're modifying everything really slightly, you know, um, those kinds of words can be very quickly overused, and everything becomes a, a superlative, and therefore nothing is. You know what I mean? So it, it, everything needs we, – we had a whole show where we talked about um, 
pithy advice often is just useless advice because without context, um, the advice is meaningless. So there are um, genres where you can give more depth and tell the story better by having more points of view. That isn't, it isn't romance. It pro- I would say it probably isn't urban fantasy either. I've never read an urban fantasy novel. Actually, I don't think I've read any good ones that have more than one point of view. So, because um, most urban fantasy is written in first person, and I think it, alternating first person is a huge narrative sin. I would, so, I would, I will not read a book that's alternating first person. No, that's a hundred percent no. Um, I know, I know, it's risen in popularity. I think it's awful. That's totally my opinion. Um, but even if you do alternating first person, you still don't see it with more than two. Um, the lots of point of view thing is is lacking context. That piece of advice to me. I would need to know what genres are you talking about? Are you talking about first or third person? Um, what, are your, what are your boundaries for how long you stay in a point of view? Um, because most publishers have like some criteria about how long they expect you to stay in a POV if you've made a POV switch. Um, like at least finish out the scene if it's a short scene, and if it's a longer scene, they expect you to give it you know a couple of pages at least before you do a POV switch. So it. But the thing is, is that if you have this problem in your work, most agent editors, publishers aren't going to take the time to tell you. They're just going to reject you. And switching a PLV in a very um, is 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 a skill you need to learn. Obviously, it's a it's a really good skill to learn. Doing a POV break is a huge sin. In traditional publishing, um, there was a time when you could do like a line break to do a uh, POV change, but it was considered something really kind of can't switch your POV without a POV break. You have no business switching your POV. And that's my opinion. I agree. You shouldn't need to put in a scene break, which is a break should be used for scenes not for points of view. And it's very jarring when there is what amounts to because they use the same um, – some people write with white space as their break, and they use more white space for a scene break than they do for a point of view break, and that's just crazy cakes. Um, yeah, yeah there, there is some alternating first person out there, um, and it is rising in popularity in some genres, but it's, it's, it's not. I the think new adult the is a big – point of view influence on yeah. that new adult and maybe even young adult and I hate it I absolutely hate yeah. it I'm a I'm a huge snob when it comes to first person work but I cut my teeth on Elizabeth Peters so you can't blame me <laughs> yeah well you first person is a very intimate point of view and I find the this is this is my this is my reader opinion and many publishers feel the same way but my opinion is that you lose the intimacy of the point of view when it's more than one person in in the story using that point of view for first person, um, I think it's really like deep third person, really deep. Yeah, because um, you want to you, connect. You want you want your reader to connect with you, um, the, w- with your character, and if you're moving away from them a lot, they're not going to create that that intimacy that you want. 
But it, it all depends upon the genre you, you're writing in as to what are the standards and what is considered good advice. So I find writing advice that doesn't talk about the genre the advice is tailored to um, to be something you'll need to double-check because the, 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 the standards and the advice you would give to somebody writing in sci-fi is not the same thing as what you would tell somebody who's going to write romance or write erotica or um, write YA. It's just it's different. Different genres but, have different, different standards. Take, for example, the cozy mystery versus the suspense. In a suspense novel, the reader oftentimes meets the bad guy before your hero does. Um, in a suspense novel, the the bad guy sometimes has a POV. This happens a lot, actually, in um, in the Indus series by J.D. Robb, which is a, which is a suspense series. It's a futuristic suspense series. Um, whereas a cozy mystery, the the POV is normally the person trying to solve the problem, and the reader doesn't find out who the bad guy is until the big reveal. Sherlock Holmes, kind of thing. Although it's kind of yeah. cute to call Sherlock Holmes a cozy mystery, *Midsummer Murders* is a cozy mystery series. To, um, to, um, to, um, to give you some reference, and if you've never watched that, it's on Netflix. Um, it's the show that convinced me that British villages are full of murderers and sexual deviants, and I will not be swayed. <laughs> <laughs> well. There are quite a few British shows that have convinced me that there's that it's pretty fucked up over there. Um, <laughs> White Castle and what what was that other one? Wire in the Blood or something like that. I I, I love rarely... Wire in the Blood. Oh my god, I oh. fucking love that show. But they um good good but fucked up. Um, but very it makes fucked criminal, up. It, it makes criminal it makes Criminal Minds seem like a young adult series. It's, it's yeah, really up. yeah. Damn. But you have to, you have to I love that guy Robinson. I love him. He's great. Yeah. But I've asked people, I said, what 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 genre would you you know, what genre would you characterize the story? And they can't tell you. They can't tell you what the, the genre of their story is. You need to go look at a genre list and, and ponder what you're writing. Um and then if, what is it that you want to write? And different than a futuristic which is also different from a science fiction. And yeah, fandom has some very some some additional genres, but that doesn't exempt you from the traditional genre either. Just because you're writing an alternate universe is your genre, which wouldn't exist in traditional publishing. Doesn't mean you're not writing an alternate universe of some kind of genre. Is it, are you well, writing a yes. sci-fi? Are you writing fantasy? Are you writing, um, what is the genre you're going for? And then you need to, find, you know, learn about your genre. So that, so I, but I, yeah, but even within, because writers are all different people with different experiences, they do sometimes give contradictory advice. Um, what I would say about that, though, actually, is that while there is no alternate universe um, genre, in professional publishing, there is an alternate history. You see it in um, historical fiction, and especially in historical romance. In fact, I've considered an alternate history historical romance in the the past, but I couldn't nail down what I wanted to change. 
I probably could now, though. <laughs> I'm going to fix it history. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> I'm going to fix history. Because <laughs> y'all are fucked up. <laughs> I'm going to fix something. But I know it can be frustrating to f- try to figure out, you know, what are you doing? How are you doing it? What should you be doing? If you want to, and the thing is, if you're writing fan, fan fiction, um, getting some cobbled together advice from reputable sources that makes sense to you and ultimately helps you develop your voice is fine. Um, if you're trying to submit to a publisher, you're going to have to get a little bit more clarity. If you're trying, you're going to have to understand what what the market is, what your publisher wants, um, what what the standards are for, for, for what you're trying to submit to them. And yeah, when when you're ready to take, you know, the when you're ready to take if 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 you consider fandom like a and it is, for me it was, it's like a training ground, a writing training ground. And when you're ready to take those training wheels off, you're gonna have to lock some of this stuff down. And that's where it becomes more much more important that you zoom in on the target audience, the genre, and that, that you understand what the publisher expects you to be doing. So because sometimes there is, there are, in terms of craft, multiple right answers, it doesn't mean that there's multiple right answers for the story you're trying to submit to that particular publisher. What I would say is that there are two resources that every writer should own. That is the elements of style and Fiction, Self-Editing for Fiction Writers by Dave King and Rene Brown. Um, Self-Editing for Fiction Writers. Um, These two books, especially the elements of style, these are your foundation. How you create, um, how you manufacture your process, how you put your process together is personal. Um, Take a little bit from her, take a little bit from him, you know, take a little bit from me, take a little bit from Jilly, whoever's around you. Figure out what things work for you, what things don't work for you, and make your own process because that's what will serve you best um, is to tailor your writing experience around your um, your skills. Now, I know because I am very good at picking up consequences and ramifications that plotting out in advance works best for me. That way I can see long-reaching problems of my decisions early on and make changes. There are some people who if they plot too much, they get bored and they don't want to write it because it's like they've already written it. If that's your headspace, then you don't want to do that. You don't want to do anything that fucks up your head voice and um, prevents you from writing. So when you take when you see authors offering advice on their process as that, it's their process. Look at their process and see what about their process is attractive to you. If nothing is attractive to you, set it aside and find somebody else to look at. <laughs> yeah. That's perfectly okay. My process should not work for you because it's my process. And you need to find your own. And that's like super important. And that, that's how you find your voice as a writer. And also you don't want to have all your characters huffing and puffing around and using the word so like it's the only word in the fucking dictionary. 
Yes, please don't. No, really, please, please don't. <laughs> no huffing. <laughs> but you can huff in real life. Now, you know, actually that huffing comes from J.D. Robb. She infected me. And I'm like, the first time I saw it when her nose, I was like, God damn it, that's where it come from. Because like I said, this disgusting osmosis. There's things you pick up as a reader that you bring into your craft as a writer. And I'm like, did I do that huffing thing before? So I went back and looked at work that I read that I wrote before I started reading J D. Robb, and there's not nearly as much huffing. She infected me on the huffing. A huffing infection. I have a huffing infection. Yes. So, so I am working on it. I, I, I do try to work on it. But, you know, our brains are susceptible to that kind of um, uh, influence. And that is fine. That is perfectly okay. Um, you'll pick up bad habits from me because you read me. You'll pick up bad habits from Jilly because you read her. And we all have something we do that we shouldn't. Because it's a never-ending process. So things and mistakes that I made five years ago, ten years ago, I wouldn't make today. I'll make new ones. (laughs) I'll make lots of new mistakes. (laughs) Because that's the way that stuff works. And perfection is an illusion. It doesn't exist. So when you're doing research, when you're doing writing research um, about should you do this, should you do that, don't go into it thinking you're going to find the right answer. Because I think you're going to set yourself up to be frustrated, and that's not going to help. You're trying to find an answer that works for you. And try to look at it in that light, that you're trying to find the answer that works for you um, and help that fits the genre that you're looking for. And, and so if somebody's advice about point of view doesn't resonate with you, then, then try, try someone else's advice. But it, it, the advice of individual writers is one thing, but one of the things, the, the more important research tool is what are you seeing when you read books that are successful in the genre that you want to write in? Do you see that thing? that authors have talked to you, that you've heard a piece of advice about. When you read urban fantasy, do you see six points of view? You know, and if you're writing an urban fantasy and you don't see six points of view, then you need to disregard the advice about how six points of view can make your narrative richer. And what I would say about POV is that, um, is that, Alternating POVs can make your narrative very rich. It can deepen the emotions, especially in a romance novel. Um, It can deepen um, the intimacy of the love that you're seeing being created by these two characters. Uh, It it, it can just be, it can be beautiful to be smart about it and pay attention to your audience. One of the things that, I was told early on in my career as a, as, a, as a romance writer is to consistently write sex scenes from the woman's point of view. Obviously in a, in a het romance. And because my audience is female and that's what they expect. Right? I was told this. So I did it. 
and then what? And then I was like, you know what? Let me write this from let me write this from his point of view. And I wrote it, and I snuck it into my book, right? And um, I sent it off to my agent. And normally, I would send her a book, and I would get like a response. And um, but I, my first sex scene out of the gate in that book was was from his point of view. And so she's like five chapters in, and she calls me. She was like, "This is the hottest thing you've ever written." Why is it different? I said, take a look at it again. And she went, oh, my God. <laughs> I had written the sex scene from the man's point of view, and it blew her mind. I, she was like, I got to go. And she hung up on me. <laughs> and finished the book and then sent it off. And, you know, and and she was really the only one who, who kind of, like, noticed it to the point where they had to comment on it and like it was just like um and I had one editor in the team who wanted me to rewrite it from the female point of view and I said no and they honored that um but a lot of times when you read traditional romance novels the sex scenes are written from the woman's point of view um because you're writing for the woman um your audience is 95% female um in the romance genre, and they expect to see those moments of intimacy written from a point of view that they can relate to. So when you take risks like that, they have to be calculated. And if I had stumbled in that sex scene and made my hero unlikable, the book would have fallen apart. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'm really glad that you didn't stumble. I have, um, I think there is a lot of times one of the things I noticed is that I tend to, when I'm writing, have a sex scene, a one character who I'm more comfortable writing the sex from. Um, and one day I decided to push myself and make sure that I was not writing all the sex scenes from that one character's point of view. And I think it makes it so much better, so much better yeah. when you switch it up like that. But again, this is you you have to speak to your audience and you have to make very smart choices when it comes to your point of view. And your point of view should always serve your story and not your ego. And I had to tell myself that repeatedly when I was writing Darkly Loyal. Um and even now in I'm almost ready for beta for that story. Um and even now I have to remind myself, this is what, this is the choice that I made. This is serving the plot that I created. Stop being an asshole to yourself, Kara. <laughs> because it would actually be more satisfying to me um, as a writer to go back and insert a whole bunch of scenes from another point of view. But it absolutely would not serve my plot. That's just pure author ego right there. That's just, it's just... And so it's vanity. Just So acknowledge your vanity, the POV situation that serves the story you want to tell versus the vanity you might want to indulge in. And in fandom, writers like, you know, who, who, who sit down on the middle of the line, who write professionally and write in fandom, oftentimes I indulge myself in fandom because I can't indulge myself professionally. So in a lot of times, um, fandom is kind of like a an escape from the rules. <laughs> but 
But speaking of writing professionally, I started my merman story. I told you guys that I was going to write a merman story for the Pleasure Club at Cobblestone. Um, and I got I can't get my merman out of the water. <laughs> it is awkward to get a fake mer- merman out of the water <laughs> and keep up the illusion hmm. of the fantasy. I don't I don't know how I'm going to do it. Um, I'm 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 really I don't know. <laughs> it's so my one guy's on the beach. My merman's in the water, and I'm like, how the fuck am I going to do this? I mean, it stalled me. I have, I'm like, because he can't, he has to come out of the water human, right? To, Because um, he can't, like, wiggle out of the fins on the beach, because then it kind of destroys the illusion and the fantasy. And the, and the, and the Pleasure Club's about fantasy, right? And he's not actually a merman. He's just a regular dude. Pretending to be a merman, so there's no magic. I mean, this is a contemporary series. This is this is a a sexual fantasy series. So, in order for him to maintain this delusion, he needs to lose that tail in the water before he comes out to seduce the person who who has requested this fantasy. And so, currently, my merman's stuck in the water. I don't know how I'm going to get him out. <laughs> like I'm I'm fucked. And my, and my dude's not getting fucked. It's a problem. <laughs> That's hysterical. Kira can't get her merman out of the water. <laughs> you know, honestly, Sahara has something in there I have to address because it drives me nuts. There's a book series I read, read where at one point the same scene was presented in three POVs. I don't remember what happened, but I remember reading it three times. If there is anything more infuriating to me, it is reading the same fucking scene two or three times from the, from different points of view. I will skip that shit in a heartbeat. I don't oh, yeah. care to know. I don't want to know what Dumbledore's a... death thought of Harry's meeting with Dumbledore. <laughs> and that is a big a thing. Fox thought. Fandom loves that shit. It's to present the same information over and over again, and it. I, I just want to. I want to spit nails every time I see it. I'm like, why are you writing this story multiple times? I mean, literally anybody could do this, right? You write a story from a point of view, and then you write the story again. Now, actually, I will say, if you're going to do it, it is preferable to write the whole story over in the other point of view, and then it's kind of like pick your POV. Okay, it kind of. It's not great. But the reader can go, hey, I, I like Gibbs POV better on this. I'm going to read his and skip Tony's. Whatever. But when you write a scene and then the next chapter is the same scene from another point of view, fuck that. And fuck you. You have At, at this point, if you not only have killed your pace, you have no pace. None. Pace is not an issue for you because it doesn't exist. <laughs> because you're telling your, you're telling your story three times all at once. No, no, all at once. It's back to back to back. <laughs> right. I and when I read story, to actually see you head hop through three different people in one scene than to read the same scene three times. Or hello, Avengers fandom, giving the same scene from all of the Avengers point of view. Fuck you. I'm just saying <laughs> I'm double birding you so hard over that. We love you, but damn. Stop it. I need the scene to be fluid with the merman coming out of the water. And I'm wondering to myself, does does he even talk? 
to this to this to this human being he's about to seduce, or is it all silent seduction and smoldering eyes? Because could a merman talk? Would he even know English? How far do I take the fantasy, right? And so, um, to be sexy, but I also want it to be completely, you know, I, I don't want it to be awkward. <laughs> I want it to be graceful so he, and sexy. He's got like a so. fake tail? Yeah, yeah, he has a tail. When he, when, when my, when, when my main character sees him, he's lounging on uh, a boulder across this little um, lagoon. Um, so he sees him with the tail, and he slips down into the water. Um, that that's the point. He his uh, his whole fantasy is to be seduced by a merman. What if the um, what if the tail is made of something that dwells in water? Hmm. It's being told from my human's point of view, so he doesn't know what's happening with the tail or how it comes off. So I could skip that part. It's just I'm not sure what to do between him slipping off the boulder and coming ashore. Okay, getting rid of the tail, right? The tail's in the water. Maybe there could be someone in the water with him um, to make sure he doesn't get in any trouble, you know, um, or whatever. Uh, I assume that there probably is a lifeguard somewhere in this situation, you know, because it's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure club. They get to their members, and so there has to be some on-site protection you know for whatever um as far as like you know this dude's in the water what if he had a problem and you don't want to remember to drown but so here's the thing like okay so i get him out of the tail and he comes ashore is there like immediate seduction does he talk to him does he speak english i mean would the merman speak english would that destroy the fantasy if he speaks um and so i'm, I'm just putting way too much effort mentally <laughs> into 5,000 into, words of a rock. <laughs> into the realism, into the realism aspects. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. See, because the human isn't going to know how he gets rid of the tail. So that's how, it's just this awkward moment between him swimming and him coming ashore and the sexy time. I mean, if you were being seduced by a merman, what would you want him to do when he comes ashore? Well, I mean, if if assuming that there is, um, well, considering it's it's two two men, and this is he knows that he's about to get laid, and his fantasy is a mythical creature. I would think no talking, just you know, he walks up out of the water and starts kissing yeah but sometimes my brain does this to me you know it it gets um realistically how would a merman get off his tail yeah i can understand my brain obviously if he was actually a mermaid it would just fade away with magic but he's not an actual merman he is a human being pretending to be a merman so i think there probably no sound um because whistles and clicks like a dolphin are not sexy (laughs) right no no 
that that would be a little animalistic, and I don't want to go there. Um, although I would not consider it an actual merman and a human bestiality, um, because there, it's, it's obviously not bestiality, but I still wouldn't want to do that. Um, but it is a fantasy, and they are sharing the fantasy, and they both know what's supposed to happen. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just I'm I'm putting too much thought into it. That's what it boils down to. I am putting way too much thought into it. But I'll figure it out. I will figure it out. But that's the problem that you encounter as a plotter, or I encounter as a plotter, is that sometimes I get bogged down in um, the structural elements of my scenes. Um, right? Yeah, I would totally do a telepathic mer- merman. Absolutely, Sarah Harrow. That would be great. But he's not actually a real merman. I mean, the, the whole point of the series is that there, none of the fantasies are actually real. So um, I got a really good one with... Um, she was a fairy or maybe an angel. And I, I was like, all the way to the end, I wasn't quite sure if she was actually a fairy or not. <laughs> that was the point, right? It's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, so. But I think probably no talking whatsoever. They both know what they're there for. He wants to be seduced by a sexy man out of the water. <laughs> He's the sexy man coming out of the water. <laughs> yeah, but you're always well. Yeah, it, it's not. Yeah, it it uh, it isn't supposed to. It's a fantasy, but not a crack fantasy. Even if the idea of someone pretending to be a merman is inherently a little crackish. Um, yeah. But people have these fantasies. I mean, that's just that's just the way the world works, right? People want somebody. People out there who want to be seduced by the merman. Actually, I would say merman seduction fantasy is probably pretty common. I don't, know how often, uh, I don't know where that boner for merman came along, but uh, it, it's there. I'm going to blame Jason Momoa. <laughs> Just going to go out there no and say, yeah. I have yep. no problem with that. I have a picture. I'm gonna share a picture. That did not happen that did not happen the way I wanted it to. Let me try again. Oh, it's on Facebook, that's why it didn't happen the way I wanted it to. <laughs> My bad. What's on Facebook? The picture that I found that I wanted to show. Oh, yeah. Sharing 
photos from Facebook. Not the easiest thing to do. But yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like that. See? That's hot. (laughs) That shouldn't be hot, but it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they make very realistic um, mermaid tails for you to wear. So, yeah, I mean that part isn't the problem. Um, the problem is is that yeah, I'm I'm kind of like I said, I was just it's awkward. <laughs> And I hate awkward. I hate awkward narrative. Um, in my own writing, it makes me deeply uncomfortable if my narrative isn't smooth. Um, if I have a, if I have a hitch, um, in um, in the scene that's not as, uh, I don't know. It just it just messes me up. I have a problem with that. I can understand that. I don't like. Well, I can run into snags like that, and I'm like, um, I don't think I'm gonna be able to get past this. <laughs> really? It's not that big a deal. You don't somebody understand. Somebody else isn't that big a deal. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm, I'm thinking you don't understand. You don't understand. It's a, it is a it is a big deal that I can't figure out how long it would take the elevator to get to the top of this building. And they're like, No, it really isn't. I'm like, Shut up. <laughs> You're over googling the tallest building in your city so you can go time it. Yeah. <laughs> and when was that building built? Well, who cares when that building built? This is a fantasy world. Shut up. It matters. How fast is an express elevator? How fast can one build a high rise? The answer: thirty days. A high rise, yeah. uh, a skyscraper can be built in thirty days. Thirty days. If you can close everything off around it, you can get that thing up really quickly. And an elevator can go easily. A good, a, a fast elevator could go to the top of, I think, Stark Tower is 90 some odd floors. That could be traveled in 45 seconds. These yep. Days. Easily. Look it up. <laughs> Research. Look it up. But, yeah, I did look I up how long it takes to build um, skyscrapers. And the, the, the world record is like 26 days for 90 floors. Or something That's like that. Amazing. That is I, truly I, I amazing. It, it, it had um, implications in my quantum bang. <clears throat> Although it didn't happen as fast in my quantum bang as that, I wanted to make sure that my timeline was realistic, and that if you had that kind of money to burn, that you could do what I did do in the number of days that I gave it, and I could. And there you go. But she knows that. She has confidence in that. Even if it, even if it, and the funny thing is, even if it strikes a reader oddly because they're like, that can't be done that quickly. It's like, uh, but Kira has confidence and, in what she wrote. And that reader is the, also the kind of reader that would go Google that shit and find out I was right. I appreciate that. Yes, all right. <laughs> go get your Google on. Google it. Google is your friend. Sometimes, as long as you're very careful. Yeah, what sometimes, you put in. sometimes people ask really dumb questions. It's like, wow, wow, really? 
What does this word mean? Oh, my God. It, people post on Facebook asking what a word means. I mean, I just I just want to post them to a link to this entry in the dictionary because that's just those kinds. Of, now, it's, there's, there's language nuance that somebody might ask about that is not readily apparent from looking something up in a dictionary. But just basically I ran across this word. I don't know what it means. That it takes you longer to post your ignorance on Facebook than it would have for you to look it up in the dictionary, even a paper dictionary. You can go find a dictionary in your house faster than you could have. <clears throat> Although I wanted to point out, for those of you who are Kindle Fire users, that the Oxford Dictionary is free on your Kindle Fire. It in fact, me off, too. The new Kindle has happy both for- the American version and the British version. You have no fucking excuse. You know, I, I, I was tempted to buy a Kindle Fire for a fucking dictionary. That's just you guys don't have the Kindle any idea Fire else. is cheaper than the fucking dictionary. Yeah, the, uh, the it's like I think buying the actual paper Oxford American Dictionary is about the equivalent cost of buying a Kindle uh, the the low end Kindle Fire. It's about the same. It's and about and your 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 Kindle Fire is searchable. <laughs> yeah. Um. Just saying. Not to and a lot. Apparently, the Kindle gives you gives you the OED as well. Yeah. And why that's important? Here's why that's important. And this this is a tangent. We're almost almost out of time. But when dictionaries don't agree, this is one of my rules: is the Oxford is the tiebreaker. Um, so American Heritage and Merriam-Webster don't always agree about usage or about spelling or about whether or not something has made it as a compound noun or not. Because whether or not something becomes a compound noun is a function of how often it's used. And the people who determine really whether or not they're going to add that in as a word on its own is Oxford English Dictionary. So if you're ever in a case where – if you're ever in a situation where it's really critical that you get your word usage right, A, your style guide should be telling you what dictionaries they use. The problem is is that sometimes a style guide has multiple dictionaries and they don't always agree with each other. Or anything to you, American Heritage and Merriam-Webster. But OED <laughs> is the definitive tiebreaker. So if you, they don't agree, you go with what the Oxford says. So it is important if you're an editor or a writer that you have – um, access to the OE, access to the Oxford Dictionary, and that is an expensive endeavor. Except when you're, you're seeking professional publication, there are two beyond the two books I've already told you about that I think you should own, which is self editing for fiction writers and um, the Elements of Style. Um, and the Elements of Style is actually free online right now. It's a PDF; you can get it anywhere because um, it's um, out of copyright. Uh, is the Oxford American Dictionary is is the Oxford Dictionary probably both the American and the British version, um, and the Chicago Style Manual. Ninety nine point nine percent of all publishing houses in the United States use the Chicago Style Manual to build their own house guidelines. It is the standard, and you should own one. Um, the newest edition is very expensive, but you could usually find an older edition um, in the in a used bookstore that would be just as beneficial. Yeah, um, 
I mean, honestly, to rent the uh, the the Oxford American Dictionary to rent it on Amazon for two months is like twenty five dollars. So, um, if you can get a, there is you can, Oxford Dictionaries is available online, but that is actually the OED. So, the Oxford American Dictionary, which is considered the definitive dictionary for American publishing because it's American usage, it's the you know whatever it is it is an expensive dictionary to. To have and, but it is available it. on the Kindle. You can get both of those on the Kindle. And the cheapest Kindle is like $49 right now. That would be worth it just to get those two dictionaries, to be perfectly frank. Because that, that's $150, yeah. $200. And those editions will be updated. And you won't sprain your wrist picking them up. The same. <laughs> okay. We're down to 36 seconds. You guys have a great week. And we'll talk to you later. Say goodnight, Julie. Good night, everyone. Bye.